Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mace. Here with me is Jay Jones, and Good this morning. is Text Driven Tuesday. Here we are. Well, we had a little bit of a disappointing weekend. Yeah, we did, yeah. So, had, uh, had ice on Wednesday. And, Wednesday and uh, Thursday, a little I think. bit, a little yeah. bit on Thursday. Yeah, it's like it was like ice, snow, more ice, <clears throat> and it compressed into like three inches of. <laughs> yeah, like was, you could have put ice skates on uh-huh. and ice skated in the church parking lot, right? Yeah, um, so we didn't have free for all Friday last week because you texted me and said, "Hey, can we uh, can we take a day off because I've got conference sermon." And Sunday sermon to work on, and so we didn't have free for all Friday, so you could work on those sermons. Mm-hmm. I still came. Up, I came up here. It was treacherous. Uh-huh. The roads were not good, um, and I wrote. I wrote two <clears throat> sermons last week, mm-hmm. and then Friday was it Friday Thursday night or Saturday? I was like, I wrote two sermons. Or, well, we canceled the conference, right. We right? canceled the conference, and then it right. looked like we might have to cancel church. And yeah, I, and I was like, what? Well, I wrote two sermons. I'm uh-huh. not gonna get to preach either one of these sermons. Right. But it warmed up just enough, and we had some great church volunteers clear mm-hmm. the parking lot with right. like a bobcat thing. Okay, yeah. If they hadn't come up, <laughs> we we would not have had church on Sunday. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at the areas that they didn't they didn't clear, and it was it still was still icy. ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we had to cancel our Christ Center Churches conference, and that was that was a bummer. Yeah, it was. I was ready. I was ready to preach on Friday, and we. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, the roads really weren't safe enough Friday either. Yeah, every time the sun would go down, everything would refreeze. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we're going to do it in October. So if you're sad about that and you missed it, it's coming back in October. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get the dates out <laughs> when we know the yeah. dates. We'll figure out the best day and and we'll uh, try to spread the word. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you did get to preach your sermon mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday. Yep. So Sunday we're uh, we're going to talk about the book of Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started the book of Habakkuk last week and looked at uh, the first four verses. Today we're looking at verses five through eleven. Uh, you want to catch us up a little bit on uh, the book of Habakkuk? Sure. <clears throat> Habakkuk is a prophet to uh, the southern kingdom. Um, there's no northern kingdom left. They've been carried away by the Assyrians. He's a contemporary probably of Jeremiah from what the best that people can discern. Same conditions. They write about the same conditions. And Habakkuk is lamenting to God the conditions of the covenant people. They've become like the Canaanites, pretty much, their description. Um, He doesn't list specifically uh, child sacrifice in his complaint, in his lament. Maybe it's included in violence. The people have become violent, they're immoral, they aren't following the law, there's strife and contention, and he's lamenting all these things to God. That's verses 1 through 4. Um, if you look at the conditions and you, you know, you're following in like the Book of Kings and stuff, and you can see um, they're involved in worship of Baal and they're doing child sacrifice. They become like the Canaanites. So he's lamenting. So... What we saw last time we were together in 1 through 4 is Habakkuk's prayer to God. It's a prayer of lament. It's, how long shall I cry for help? That's the first lament. I've been praying and asking you to do something about this, and you're not listening. You're not saving what's going on. Um, So it's a a prayer of lament that God's not listening to him. He's been calling out for a while. And then he turns to a, a, a lament of why... Like, why are, why are you making me see these things? Why is there iniquity everywhere? And really that lament is that God's sovereign. He can do something about it. Uh, it doesn't have to be this way. Can't he raise up a prophet? Can't he bring ref- reform, a revival, turn the people's hearts back to himself? God's not doing anything. Um, so there's injustice everywhere, immorality everywhere. It's a big lament, and we went through all of that. Um, God answers in 5 through 11. And the answer is not really what he was 
hoping for. But as we'll see, God told him a long time ago, you know, that this was what would happen. Right. So God answers. So Habakkuk laments. Here's how the book unfolds. Habakkuk prays to God. God answers. Mm-hmm. Habakkuk's like, that makes me even more confused. <laughs> right. So he has another complaint. Mm-hmm. And then God answers him again. Um, and then God pronounces these woes upon Babylon, which really <clears throat> can be seen as God's woes of judgment pronounced on uh, every nation on, and every person that has uh, the same problem the Babylonians have, mm-hmm. which is really all of us. Um, so these five woes. And then after that, Habakkuk begins to praise God. Chapter 3 is just a prayer, really, of praise. And it's a prayer of praise in in simply j- just this, of who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he's not going to be getting a lot of great things. <laughs> right. like, like, we praise God all the time for what he's done, yeah. and we should. Right. But Habakkuk gets to the point at the end of Habakkuk, it's really incredible, where he'll praise God simply for who God is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it's really about faith, what real biblical faith is. Yeah. Um, it's about faith in difficult and hard times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let's have you uh, read verses 5 through 11, and okay. then, uh, then we'll talk about it. So now God speaks, he, he speaks, and this is in the plural. He's speaking to Habakkuk, God's speaking to Habakkuk, the prophet, but it's in the plural because it's addressed to everyone through the prophet. Yeah, because Habakkuk, he's not just, he's not just um, acting as a singular person, he's a prophet, uh-huh. and so he's representing the nation. Uh-huh. Um, and his complaints in verses uh, two through four are the cries of the remnant. Uh-huh. How long are you going to remain silent? Why are you not? Why are you not doing anything? Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's God's answer. <clears throat> it says, "Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told." For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, and their face forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth and take it. And they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. All right, so you had two points uh, in this uh, section. God's answer to Habakkuk is astounding and dreadful. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right, well, let's... Jump right in, shall we? We shall. Okay, all right. God's answer is astounding. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, I, I think this is this is really important because um, he's he's wanting God to do something, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, we as as Christians we feel that same way in our own nation. We. We see the we see the problems, we see the violence, we see the wickedness, the idolatry, um, the immorality, and we we also want God to do something. Mm-hmm. But when we say God, will you do something? We're we're thinking in terms of revival, right? Right. We're thinking in terms of things getting better. We yeah. want God to remove wicked rulers and give us. You know, good good leaders. Mm-hmm. We want the church to move from being apathetic to being um, you know, righteous and mm-hmm. faithful and bold. We want to see the culture changing. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's usually what what we mean when we're talking about God do something, right? Right. Um, and so the answer that God gives to Habakkuk is so astounding because Habakkuk is probably. <laughs> hoping for revival also. Right. Um he's, you know, contemporary of Jeremiah, um 
maybe maybe saw Josiah's reform or or maybe Hezekiah's reform. You know, I mean, he he at least knows <clears throat> right. that God has raised up godly done, kings yeah. and he has brought revival. Um, he's probably wanting that also. Wants it again, yeah. Um, he's he's also looking forward to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's probably wondering when are you going to send the Messiah? When when are you going to? accomplish your purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's probably looking for these things. And so what's so astounding about his, God's answer to him. Yeah. So God's answer is astounding because he tells him to look among the nations. He's, he's looking for probably an internal answer, as like you said, as God has done in the past, either raising up a prophet to turn the people's hearts mm-hmm. or a king who, like, jo- like what Josiah did, there's a good possibility that he wrote this um, either right before his reign or right after he died. Okay. Some tend to lean to before Josiah came. Okay. Um, but <laughs> that's what he's hoping for. They're always hoping for like a king like David, right? Right. And that's the re- repeated refrain. Right. Um, and... God's not doing it. He's not bringing revival. He's not raising it. And so that's why the lament comes. And then the answer comes, and it's not, hey, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm raising up some awesome you know, preacher or, or all these great prophets. It's, I'm going to, uh, your answer is going to come from the pagan nations. And the language here that is used is something like, and it's, it's, the, t- the root word is repeated to give it emphasis twice, and it's the word like that's astounded, amazed and astounded, or to be like utterly dumbstruck, um, totally shocked, mm. like something you would never dream up is, is happening. Yeah. Um, I tried to think like what's the best, like how do you have this feeling of total shock? It would be like something like, you know, um, it's the World Series and your team is up by three runs and all of a sudden you know there are three singles and then a guy comes up and he hits a grand slam <laughs> and your team loses yeah you would be totally just perplexed and shocked that that just happened right in front of your eyes um <sighs> the, the other one i gave was the philistines um, yeah. think how du- <clears throat> like totally astounded and amazed they would have been <laughs> just dumbstruck right right goliaths Goliath cannot be defeated by a man. Yeah. It's impossible. And then here comes, you know, this little mm-hmm. teenager. <laughs> right. And in a millisecond, yeah. incapac- he's incapacitated. Right. And, ha- and he's decapitated right mm. in front of everyone. Yeah. Little, this little, he's not a boy, but like a youth, he's holding up a giant's head mm-hmm. and his sword. Yeah. And that's kind of, God gives like the warning. He tells them ahead of time, like what I'm about to tell you is going to make you like that. Yeah. You're not going to believe it. I, I wish you'd quit using these baseball analogies, Jay. Yeah. Because it's causing it's causing me to lament. It's causing you pain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad, man. They're not going to be a season, it looks like. Well, at least not the beginning. There's not going <sighs> to... Yeah, yeah no. it's not looking sorry, good. Sorry, George. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I left it out of the sermon just yeah, for you. Okay. <laughs> went with the went with the biblical illustration okay. of David and Goliath yeah, all right. instead. <laughs> so they're still they're still college baseball. Yeah, they ought still to televise college. all of college baseball. Mm-hmm. They really should. Yeah. Yeah, they should. All right. <laughs> Getting back to the text. Yeah. <laughs> So verse five, you know, I'm going to do a work in your day you wouldn't believe even if you were told. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but people, the the Judas, they're not going to believe it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard this verse used in the context of revival? Verse five? I'm sure I have. Yeah. I'm sure I have. I've heard it. I'm sure that if you walk, I'm sure you could walk into a Christian bookstore and see it. Oh, Yeah. Used in books uh-huh, or yeah. you know whatever, a uh, nice little picture to hang to hang on your wall. <laughs> right, I'm gonna do work in your day. You wouldn't believe in if you were told. Yeah. I've heard it many times. You know, a preacher say something to this effect, but he means that God's gonna do a revival. Right, which is not what it means. Right, it actually means I'm not gonna do a revival. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not going to do that. You can imagine, you can imagine how, um, contrary to what probably the prevailing thought was during this time, I mean that the Israelites were, especially those who lived in Jerusalem, they they would have been accustomed to seeing God rescue them, yeah, again and again. I mean, just uh, I don't know. Uh, few decades before that mm. he had rescued them from the assyrians Re- the assyrians yeah. had um surrounded their you know surrounded jerusalem with their armies uh they were mocking them and saying we're we're going to we're going to conquer you mm-hmm. and then the angel of the lord comes in and kills a hundred thousand of them yeah and they leave yeah so that you can imagine that they're thinking well god's god's done it before he'll do it again yep yeah, and there's this arrogance mm-hmm. in thinking that no matter what we're doing, no matter how low things get, God will always sweep in and rescue us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but like you pointed out, God has already—he's already told them what's going to happen, mm-hmm. not just in Habakkuk, but all the way back in. Deuteronomy. Right. Yeah. He, uh, God gave covenant blessings and covenant curses, which would, you know, God says, if you, like, I've, it's not like, do these good things and I'll love you. It's, I rescued you from Egypt. I love you. I've poured out my love and grace on you. Now, if you'll take this covenant that I give you, this law, which is good, and it's going to be good for your people to follow. Um, your land will be blessed. Society will be blessed. You can live in the land in peace. But if you throw off God's law, which is you know make your own law, and you go after other gods, then a lot of bad things are going to happen to you. And he lists all these covenant curses. Right. And one of them is that uh, a foreign nation will sweep in like an eagle and destroy them and carry them off into captivity. And Moses actually tells them that it's going to happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just finished reading Deuteronomy and you get to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and and 32 and the song of Moses and Moses is about to die and God tells tells Moses and Moses tells the people, "I, I know how rebellious you are. I know that as soon as I die, you're going to rebel against God." It's a very, it's a very pessimistic. He's, it, but he's very realistic. He he knows while I've been alive, you've you've rebelled against God. Um, how much more are you going to to turn away once I'm gone? And so God tells Moses to write this song. Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses, and it lays out the history of Israel. Mm-hmm. That God rescued them out of out of slavery, and He became their God, and He brought them into the land, and they grew fat and prideful and they turned away from God and they started worshiping idols and so God brings another nation to judge them. Mm-hmm. So he's he's already told them what's going to happen. So they're not just they're not just saying um judgment will never happen, no bad things are ever going to happen. They're saying we don't believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Right. We we don't believe God's word. Uh-huh. Um and uh I think that's I, I think there's a direct correlation between what's going on here and what's going on in America. Yeah. Not not again, you, you talked last week, America's not, you know, new Israel. We're not the, the new covenant people of God. But there's a pattern, mm-hmm. right? And uh I think that a lot of American Christians, they like to cling on to verses like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, or they like clinging on to um, you know, second Chronicles. Uh, seven fourteen, and and God's going to you know He's going to bless us, and He's going to do all these good things, and we forget that that's not always the way that God operates. He doesn't always bring revival. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Um, it's very likely that He'll bring judgment, right? And um, so we've we've got that same kind of arrogance and that unbelief that I, I think that we see here um, with Israel during Habakkuk's time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, this is a pattern that God follows through history because He's consistent in His nature and He's good. And God 
God always does what is right. Yeah. You know, it goes all the way back to the Canaanites. Um, God was even pace, patient and merciful to them. But we often miss that part. It's a small detail. But when God is promising Abraham the land, he tells him that his, his people will go and they'll sojourn in Egypt for four generations mm-hmm. because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, that means God's been patient with them for four, for four more generations. It's not even including all of what happened before Abraham. But the people of the land of of Cana, all of the tribes, by the time the Israelites get sent in, they're a wicked people. They're involved in grotesque uh, acts of immorality, yeah. sexual immorality and, and child sacrifice, burning of babies alive, um, all kinds of things, and God won't let that go on forever. So he sends in his covenant people and purges the land of them. And and then what do we find? That by Habakkuk's time, the God's chosen people have become like the Canaanites. Right. And he does to them, with the Babylonians, what they did to the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And what will happen to the Babylonians, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, they're going to be destroyed too. Same thing that happened to the Assyrians, happens to the Babylonians. Um, and history continues. The same thing happened to the Greeks and to the Romans. And we are like the Canaanites. The same problems and the same sins, they exist in our time. Right. We're unjust. Um, <clears throat> there, are, there are certain sins that God really highlights. Mm-hmm. As deserving of judgment, yes. Um, one of those is sexual perversion. Yes, <laughs> that's that's. I mean, that's that's been the You're reality right. in America for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh-huh. Um, the mur- murdering violence, mm-hmm. uh, in bloodshed um, of innocence, and especially child sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, he's that that seems to pop up again and again and again. The the worst of the kings are the ones that caused their firstborn son to pass through the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and injustice, right? Unjust courts, unequal yeah, weights unjust. and measures, uh-huh. right? Because, Where the rich and the powerful are oppressing the 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 every the everyday man, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we see all of those things in Israel, deserving of judgment. Going back to the Canaanites. Um, God specifically talks about the sexual immorality of the Canaanites and says, "Don't be like them." Mm-hmm. I mean, He gives a list, a long list of of sexual perversions that He says these are the things that the Canaanites do. Make sure you don't do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go through the list and like you just check off the ones that America is guilty of. Right? Um, we're we have we've done the the exact same things. Um, going all the way back to the Canaanites. So God, following that pattern, um, he could do the same thing to us, right? Yeah, we we have this way of thinking about ourselves because, as I've said before, I I believe we're, you know, historically, maybe the greatest nation that's ever existed because at one time, you know, the everyday person could live and be free and not be oppressed. there wasn't. There was always been sexual morality, but the issue is the government has always sanctioned it and approved of it. And well, and the population itself celebrates it. I mean, you can you can go back to the 1800s and you can read you know the Scarlet Letter mm-hmm. and Nathaniel Hawthorne's commentary on the on the Puritans. Um, but the way that sexual immorality was was viewed was in a hushed tone. Oh yeah, yeah. But now it's it's front and center. It's it's right in your face. Yeah, something's wrong with you if you get married to the same stay married to the same person your entire life, right? And like you you follow God's God's design for sex, right? And like you you've saved yourself for marriage. Something's actually wrong with you. Yeah. Instead of something being wrong with everybody else, mm-hmm. um, transgenderism. Yep. I mean, you know, everyone that's listening knows they could list all of the ways, and then of course you've got uh, we have child sacrifice too. It's just it's just much more um, medical, right? 
but we still have it. We're not sacrificing children to an idol. Yeah. A, well, <laughs> to a, a stone idol. We're still sacrificing children to an idol. Right. But it's not it's not the kind of paganism that people think about when they think of idol worship. Yeah. They they think of this this outward um, you know, bronze statue. They don't think oh the idol the idol nowadays is a woman tried to choose. Yeah. We uh so in that in that case, you know, you have everyone has become a god to that to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're sacrificed for a person's right or a person's future. Yeah. Like my future right. will be career, messed up. Career and career education. messed up. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, we just can't yeah. afford to have another baby. Right. Like it's uh different gods. Mm-hmm. Same issue, right? People sacrifice children for prosperity. That's what people forget. Like they're not just right. offering up their children, right? Because whatever they think, if they offer up their children, they'll be blessed, right? Like their crops will be abundant. Yep. Um, they'll be wealthy. All kinds of things, right? We do the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. a little bit slightly different. Yeah. With the approval of the government, with the approval of the majority of our population. Like fifty nine percent of Americans proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we, not we, we do it behind uh, sterile walls. I fear we're go- we're too far gone. Yeah. I, I I feel like like we like to think like we're the chosen people of God, but I really almost feel like in this story we're the Babylonians. Like if you had to ne- like make me choose, like choose somebody, mm-hmm. the description of the Babylonians <clears throat> really very much. Is like America, yeah. And as we'll see as we go on, they'll be judged as well, mm-hmm. right? I had a question about the the Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. So it's astonishing because he says, "I'm look among the nations. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, mm-hmm. and they're going to judge. They're going to judge Israel." Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you've said that um, the reason why this is um, one of the reasons why this is astounding is because this. They're they're not really well known right, right. now. Uh, I had a question about that because when when God tells him this, we'll we'll see it next week that Habakkuk responds and says hey, he he seems to know about them. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering like what what exactly is going on here? Are they are they like they're not an empire yet, right? But are they known well enough that some of their like their tactics are known? It's possible that by this time. They may have conquered Nineveh, okay, which is the capital of Assyria. Okay, but Assyria is still the dominant superpower. Okay, so they and this would be around six twelve if that's the case. Okay, if this is later after Josiah died, they would have already conquered for okay. sure. So he would know. Okay, there is there is a competing rising power, but the dominant power is still Assyria. Okay, and they don't they don't lose their dominance until they are defeated at the Battle of Carchemish in okay. 605. Okay. And that's when, like, it's clear they're done, Babylon has risen. Mm. I gotcha. But up until this point, they're still not the dominant power. Okay. And uh, what's interesting is after Nineveh, there's some type of alliance, and you can see the alliance, I think, even in the Bible, <coughs> between the Assyrians and Egypt. Yeah. Because they have to deal with the rising threat. Right. But their rise is so rapid. Right. It's quick. Uh-huh. So tell us a little bit about the the Chaldeans. So I, I learned this by just like, you know, just reading and researching. The Chaldeans are like synonymous with the Babylonians, but it's obviously not the same word. So yeah. like, why not? Well, the Chaldeans come from the southern part of what is modern-day Iraq. There is uh, a marshy area there, and there's always been a people group there. And this is what I find to be fa- fascinating because Saddam Hussein actually dammed up. Uh, is it what river is it? The Euphrates River. Uh huh. And he decimated that people group. Okay. Like he, they've lived there for thousands of years. He uh-huh. dammed up the river so that they couldn't live. Mm. Like he did all kinds of crazy stuff, and that's one of them. Well, why, this, why did he do that? Just because he for control. Okay. Because if you control the water, you control everything. Okay. Um, but this people group, the Chaldeans, they 
they started as a counterinsurgency movement against the Assyrians because the Assyrians had conquered vast territory right. and they actually conquered Babylon, the, the city, the capital city. And so they first the first thing they did was conquer Babylon. They took it back. But um, as an occupied people, you know, they always apparently carried this bitterness and ruthlessness with them. And that's what happens, I think, when you see like, I mean... Um, you had a good example yeah. of that. So the so the example that I kind of thought of was the Kurdish people of northern Iraq. Like for years and years and years and years, they were abused by Saddam Hussein. And when we went over there and kind of liberated them and freed them, um, like they're in the northern part of Iraq. Well, there are also some some Shia that were there still. And as the military would try to stand up, you know, arm uh, militias for their own regions to protect themselves against terrorists and other things, trying to reestablish society. The Kurds were very enthusiastic and wanted to have their own army, so they stood them up. But the problem was, is they were so bitter, mm. and they were ruthless. So if it's like, hey, there's a suspected terrorist, like there's no interrogation, there's no questioning. Like they had to be careful what information they got, because they would just go to a guy's house and like drag him out of the house and shoot him mm. in the street. Like totally ruthless. But you know it's harbor they're harboring this type of bitterness right. for how bad they, badly they've been mistreated because uh, of their past and yeah I kind of see that as God's description of the Chaldeans as they rise to power mm-hmm. they're carrying they're like marching through the earth with a chip on their shoulder right utterly uh, just ruthless mm-hmm. and just laying waste to everything <clears throat> yeah. Now we we hear about these different historical facts and and we 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 can kind of analyze it like it's a history book. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this is just what happens. There's a world power, and then someone else comes and displaces them, and then someone else comes and displaces them, and it it almost it almost just becomes this is the way of this is the way right. of the world. Uh-huh. But as Christians. As as those of us who believe the Bible, we know that this isn't just this isn't just um, random. Yeah, this isn't just something that um, you know just naturally occurs, and that's part of that's part of God's answer, right? Verse six. Yeah, uh-huh. I am raising up the Chaldeans. Right. So the Chaldeans' rapid rise in, like, who would think that they would conquer Nineveh? <laughs> right. It's, that is a massive massive yeah. city right i think i can't remember how many people live there but do you do you remember is it cl- it's got to be close to a million it's huge it, for an ancient city you would not believe how big it is mm-hmm. right and so they have this rapid rise and god tells him that tells that tells us that he's raised them up supernaturally yeah that's the explanation to to their success mm-hmm. and their ferocity. Yeah. Um, Jonah, at the end of Jonah, um, God says that there's more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand. Mm-hmm. That's probably children. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it tells us the population as a whole, but 120,000 just children. Uh, that, that's a pretty big... That's going to be a pretty big population. Yeah, I mean, this is for an ancient city is super, super big. Yeah, if it's a a city that it takes three days to traverse from one <laughs> end to the other, right? Um, yeah, that's that's going to be a big city. Yep, and, and so they, I mean, they, that's the answer. I am raising up the Chaldeans, and that's what we need to remember about this. Is um, there's a couple huge lessons, and that that was the the first one that I put that God is sovereign over all nations in history. Yeah, this is incredibly important. I think as we look at history unfolding around us, and what Putin is doing, and there's always talks continually of you know is this World War Three? Right. The political pundits, if you turn the TV on and you still watch TV, are, <laughs> they'll they'll like have these boards up. Well, if this happens, this happens, then this happens, and this happens. It sets up the sequence of events in place. World War Three is inevitable, mm-hmm. and so you can look and you can be totally, uh, completely stressed out. You know, FEMA's releasing things about how to survive a nuclear Hey, hey, hey don't, don't, uh, don't, don't give away yeah. Free For All Friday. We'll talk about that on Free For All Friday. Ridiculous statements. <laughs> uh, you know, so it can be easy to look at and see, like, what is going on? Is God even in control? 
And these texts remind us that history is not determined by Putin. Yeah. History is not determined in the White House. Right. There's a God who is in total control. Yeah. The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Yeah. Um, that is true. Mm. God's shaping history to a desired end and conclusion. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Julia and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, yeah, yesterday. And um, I, I see a lot of contradiction in the way that many Christians deal with this idea uh. of God being sovereign. Like they'll they'll affirm God is sovereign over the nations. Mm-hmm. God God is in control. But I don't think we spend a lot of time really thinking about everything that has to be under God's control in order for that big that big statement to be true. Uh-huh. He has to be in control not just over the big picture. He has to be in control over like the most minute details. Right. Right, um, and I, I think that a lot of a lot of evangelicals they will affirm God is in control over the big things, but when you start getting down to mm-hmm. like the the everyday details, yeah, I think they start to they start to bulk a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. and I'm not sure why because you would think that it would be the big picture that <laughs> would be would be you know that that's harder for me to swallow that God is. Um, in control over whether a nation like Russia is going to win or lose <laughs> in this conflict mm-hmm. um, rather than um, what Putin does when he gets out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's under God's sovereign control also. Right. Right. And not only that, everything that happened in his life yeah. to form him into the person that he is right now. Uh-huh. You're talking billions or trillions. The number is probably incalculable. Oh yeah, of, of interconnected the events. The, yeah, the events, the people that that he encountered. Um, I mean, his, his very DNA, um, his genetics are not. I mean, I think that a lot of times we just take a naturalistic view of of these things. Like every every aspect of Putin or Biden or whoever's personality is under God's sovereign control. They're the person that they are because God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what we'll talk about at, 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 in the second point. It brings up this issue of uh, God's relationship to the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. So God is sovereign over all nations. But also, I think a good application from this is that... Um, we see in this passage that God is working even if you can't see what he's doing. Yeah. So God, God's work is not always perceptible to you. So God was God was working before Habakkuk ever raised this complaint. Right. Right. And that's kind of one of his accusations that may be too strong of a word against God is that you're idle. Mm-hmm. That's the language he uses. Why do you idly look? Yeah. Um, God's not idly looking. He's been at work the whole time. Right. He's just been doing something you can't see. Like Habakkuk, you have no idea that God's been at work raising up these people, right? the Chaldeans that are going to come and judge. And they're, he's going to purge. The, all the evil you've been complaining about is about to be taken care of. It's right. not going to exist anymore. Yeah. But because I'm going to sweep it away with these people. And you, you have no idea about... Uh, the, any of this, and I think it's good. It's actually a comforting thing, though. That's in a negative sense, because uh, <clears throat> there can be all kinds of things going on in, in individuals' lives. I mean, talking about these big national things is obvious with Russia and what's going to happen. But um, when things are going on in your life, you may not think God's doing anything, and why isn't He doing something? I'm in, I'm kind of in, in suffering right now, and. But I think this text helps us to remember that just because you can't see what God's doing doesn't mean he's not doing something. Right. And God's sovereignty is best perceived in hindsight, right? Yeah. Like you have to you have to look back. Right. And you recognize God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Unless you're given special revelation like Habakkuk. Right. Yep. He t- sometimes he lets people peek. And that's <laughs> right. what he does here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Is that Was that comforting for Habakkuk? <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm getting ready to do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably not. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then God always judges evil. Mm -hmm. So we may think God's not going to do anything, and he always does. Yeah. We kind of already talked about this with the pattern that we see in the world. Right. Um, They never thought that God would would judge them. Uh, Even though they had God's word telling, I'm going to judge you. Even though, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, you look... Go back and read um, Deuteronomy 30, 31, 32, and it's not written as a um, a, a what if. Right. It's not a if you do this. God is communicating this as you will do this, and this will happen to you, and this is what I'm going to do after those things happen. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way that it's that it's communicated. Mm-hmm. So they, if they were, I mean, we haven't talked about it very much, but... Um, in the midst of all this, the biggest problem is the priest. Mm-hmm. The priests are not being faithful. Right. You you read the story of of Josiah, and he um, he he becomes king when he's he's seven. Uh-huh. Um, when he's a little bit older, he starts doing temple repairs, and when they're repairing the temple, they find the book of the law, and they mm-hmm. bring the book of the law to him. This is probably the book of Deuteronomy. Um, this book has been lost. Yep. How do you lose a book of the Bible, Jay? Did you? <laughs> How do you just? No one. <laughs> That's beyond a dusty Bible. That's right. Yeah, it's, it, been, it's just been tucked away somewhere in the temple, and and it hasn't been seen in you know been generations. Long, long gone. And here and here it is. <laughs> so they uh, they probably don't believe it because they probably haven't even heard it. And mm-hmm. the problem is, it's always. You know the the buck is always going to stop with the with the priest, right? Yeah. It's uh, the problem is the priests have not been doing what God has told them to do. Yeah. Um. And and I can't remember the exact timeline of this. I, it it may be in the beginning of Ezekiel. I've got a picture in my mind of an action that the temple priests are doing. And I think this is even is this maybe after they've been carried off. Um. But before the temple is totally destroyed, they're worshiping uh, facing the east. Mm-hmm. And their yeah. butts, right, are toward. You can't, Jay. You can't, I gotta say it. Jay, I mean, you, that's can't, what, you can't say butt on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so they're bowed down to the east, and the priest's butts are toward the holy of holies. Right. Yeah. Which is like, can it get any more disrespectful? Uh, well, I mean. Um, God supernaturally transports Ezekiel to the temple and he tells him to dig through this this wall. Yeah. He digs through a wall in the temple and there's like pagan graffiti uh-huh. on the walls. Yeah. They they're worshiping idols actually in the temple. Yeah. 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 So, so it's it's so God always judges. He right. he puts an end to it. Mm-hmm. Um because he's just and good. Yeah. It would be it would be wrong i think you could say you could question god's goodness if he wouldn't actually judge yeah it's a it's like the flip side of the coin of his goodness evil doesn't triumph in this world no matter how long like we might see like we can't get the timeline of it always right our lives are so small but god's pattern is that he is merciful mm-hmm. he's slow to anger abounding in steadfast love but he says by no means will he clear the guilty right and he doesn't. Yeah, he always judges evil. You know, we we grew up in the '80s and '90s, and it seems like it's always been um, America's bad, but God God's going to do something. Uh-huh. It's always this revivalistic kind of mindset. I, I'm sure that you encountered that in uh-huh. your denominational background, uh-huh. but it was just as prominent in, in the Southern Baptist background. I mean, they always were looking for revival. They were always looking for renewal. And I, I think that a lot of people think that that's just the pattern that's going to keep going. Right. Um, and they, they're just ignoring the fact that it looks like God has just given America over to its its sinfulness. Right. And um, unless unless God actually brings revival— not this revivalistic, you know, decisionism. Walk an aisle, say a prayer, and you're good. Uh-huh. Unless he actually brings genuine, true revival, um, we're we're heading towards towards this because God judges evil. Right. Um, where he's not going to allow a nation like America to keep 
going the way it's going forever. And we don't know how long it could be. It could be 500 years. It could be 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one would have ever thought the Romans would be destroyed. Right. You're talking a 1,000-year empire Yep. Uh, that the world had never seen anything like. Mm-hmm. But if you read any, pick up any biblical backgrounds book, you'll be struck by the utter immorality of the Romans. <clears throat> you'll be struck by... And how close we how look close like <laughs> how close we look like it, and the problems that led to the destruction of Rome were not external; uh-huh. it was internal. Yep, it was uh, corrupt leaders, and it was um, high taxes, and it was immorality, weak families. Uh huh. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It parallels America. Uh huh. Yep. So. About the only thing we don't have that the Romans had is um, fights to the death for entertainment. Yeah. Yet. 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 (laughs) That we know of, Jay. Yeah. Uh, Who knows what was going on at Epstein's Island? Mm. I mean, (laughs) who knows? Who knows what's going on with uh, at those uh, you know huge mansions in Hollywood? I know. I don't know. What were we talking about again? God, God always judges. <laughs> what were we talking so about? We not, we death, may not the timeline. We might might be able to get it. We might think he's not working, right. but he always does judge, right? Because he's good. Yeah. All right. So God's answer to Habakkuk is astounding. Mm-hmm. He's he's not bringing revival. He's bringing judgment through a pagan nation, and uh, it's his sovereign rule. Right. Next, God's answer to Habakkuk is dreadful, mm-hmm. and we've, I mean kind of touched on this already but right. we can talk more about the the babylonians yeah 7 through 11 describes them pretty much in great detail um we can go through it quickly but they inspire dread and fear in everyone that encounters them because of the ferocity of their military um fear and dread go everywhere that they go they they'll they'll conquer assyria which at one time people would think this is impossible task yeah no one can conquer Assyria, um, and they are conquered. Um, they'll go on to conquer. I'm sure that they they think the same thing about the Babylonians and the Persians, right? And the Greeks, yeah, and the Romans, yeah. yeah. And and uh, so they everywhere they go, dre- uh, dread and fear follows because they're unstoppable. And the reason they're unstoppable is you have to remember is that this is God's wrath. Mm. This is what God's wrath looks like um, in its ferocity from if it's we're looking at a purely human perspective, but still they're not purely human, they're they're divinely empowered. But it shows us the ferocity of God's wrath yeah. toward evil. Um, they're unstoppable. And their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. That's verse 7. Uh, that's one of Habakkuk's complaint is the people of God are unjust. They're making up their own justice. Mm-hmm. goes forth perverted. God says, okay, uh, you'll now be judged by someone that's even more unjust than you. Yeah. And verse 8 describes the speed of their cavalry. Um, it's very descriptive. You know, there is just like what I could think of as if a quarterback was getting blitzed by the whole defense every play and getting sacked every time. Uh, they're, they're fast as leopards. They're as ravenous of even, as evening wolves. Like if you don't feed... Uh, and uh, like, just don't feed your dog for a while. Like, it's gonna get agitated. But an evening wolf who hasn't eaten in a while is gonna be on the hunt in the evening and is gonna be ravenous, looking for something just to devour. That's the picture. Is that they're ravenous like that? They swoop down like an eagle. We think eagles are majestic, but eagles are pretty scary creatures. They can swoop down right. and like take your child. Yeah. They swoop down and they take their prey. Um. Which is no coincidence. That's what God, how God describes him in Deuteronomy 28, 49. He literally uses the same language. Habakkuk mm-hmm. is told from God the same language that God told Moses. They'll swoop down like an eagle. Um, they're described as violent in verse 9, which is how Habakkuk described the Israelites. They're violent people. God's sending in even more violent people to judge their violence. And they, they, it's like they ride the wind. They gather captives like sand. Um, you can't number sand, and that's what the Babylonians do everywhere they go. They just sweep in, conquer you, take all of your people, and they'll export them back to Babylon and leave you totally desolate. 
And they laugh, verse 10, is they laugh at kings, and they laugh at their fortresses. And it's the kind of like, you know, kings will laugh at invading armies because they're safe behind their giant walls, mm-hmm. and they can laugh at the supposed invaders. Right. Well, it's always it's flipped with the Babylonians. It's always flipped. They laugh at kings, and they laugh at their fortresses and their walls. Um, an interesting thing that God tells a detail is that they would make gigantic siege ramps out of the earth. Like, forget building a wooden siege ramp. They're like, you know what? We're unstoppable. We'll just build a giant mound of dirt and jump over your wall. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. What are they doing out there? They're piling up dirt, right? And they just make a gigantic long ramp, and they just spill over your walls oh. like like a flood. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and uh, they laugh at kings. Verse eleven describes how they move so swiftly on from one conquest to the next, and then God tells them uh, that they are guilty, uh, that their own god is their might. Yeah. So, which is a big problem, <laughs> as we'll see. Uh, coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much you want to get into. Uh, I don't know what what direction you're going with the next um, the next sermon with right. uh, with Habakkuk's second complaint. But um, this is not this is not the Holy Crusades, mm-hmm. like taking the <laughs> taking the the Holy Land. Right. Right. This is not these, these are not a bunch of crusaders that are on a mission from God to. Uh, restore proper worship right right this is a pagan nation who are just as wicked or even more so than the israelites Mm -hmm. and god says i've raised them up and they're going to come in and they're the ones who are going to destroy you right and that's and that's what habakkuk will when he starts to pray again right he's talking to god next that's what he brings Mm -hmm. up so we won't we won't touch on it too much but it does bring up this issue that you have to at least grapple with. That's God's relationship to to evil. Yeah. God's raised up an evil people. Like how can you make sense of that? Yeah. God's sovereign over human hearts, the kings. He's sovereign over the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar will find that out real quick um, when he becomes proud and thinks that he's done all this, and uh, which maybe we'll talk about in the, in, in the coming weeks. But that's what it raises. If you're, if you're thinking and there's a tension... I think you're on the right track. Um, how does it? How, how does this make sense? Well, it makes sense. Um, we we'll just briefly state it. God is sovereign over evil. Evil doesn't just run through the earth and do whatever it wants. People don't just do whatever they want. God never does evil. He never sins. He can't sin. Uh, everything God does is good and right and just. And I would even add for the people's benefits. It's for the Israelites' benefit. And really, the, for the benefit of the entire world, that this happens, God's got to preserve His promise that He's made. He's made a promise that through these people, the Messiah will come. Well, how can that be if this is their condition? Right. So He disciplines them, takes them to a place where they'll repent and call out to Him again in return. But God's even in the evil actions of men; He's sovereign over that, working a greater purpose that we can't usually perceive. And the two the two biggest stories of that are Joseph and. And then the next one is the biggest, but Joseph's story is that. And I'm not going to rehash the whole story of Joseph on here, but the end of the story, Joseph says the evil his brothers did to him, um, which was sell him into slavery, which set this whole incredible series of events in motion. <clears throat> he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, that many would be saved. Um, God saves the people, the covenant people, which are very small at the time, but he saves the whole Middle East, saves his covenant people, and he preserves his promise to bring the Messiah through Joseph. And that only happened because his brothers did evil to him. And Potiphar's wife did evil to him. He was thrown in jail. And the text doesn't say, hey, you did this for evil, but God used it and changed it for good. Um, it, it, the text literally says that you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So there's a dual intention behind it. God's intention was not evil, God's intention was good. Yeah. And this is most clearly seen played out in, in Jesus. Well, before, before we get to that, I was going to, uh, I was going to bring up, um, 
Psalm 105, 17, in, in case people are like, well, God's, God's just using this bad situation. Uh, that's not the position right. of the psalmist. Psalm 105, verse 17, uh, 16 and 17, it says that, uh, and he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Uh-huh. Um, they, this is the, the New American Standard. I like how it reads. It says, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Um, it, but it's God who is doing it. Uh-huh. Um, when God was going to send a famine, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold into slavery. Yeah. So he was, it was evil that he was sold into slavery, but it was God who was actually sending him. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the, and the brothers are accountable for their actions. Right. It, this doesn't alleviate this idea. <clears throat> That's not an idea. This truth that God is sovereign over real never alleviates people's personal responsibilities. Yeah, to not do evil things. Yeah, um, this is most clearly seen in the crucifixion of Jesus. The people who crucified Christ are accountable for their evil actions, yet they did everything that they did under the direct guidance, the determination, the predetermination of God. And that's what Peter preaches in mm-hmm. Acts chapter two. Yeah, that he says, you know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Lawless? Why are they lawless? Because what they did is sinful. It was, it's probably the worst sin ever committed on the face of the earth. Yeah. They crucified God in the flesh. But he says God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He wrote, he was, he's risen from the dead, but you can't sugarcoat the first part, which this happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we like to sugarcoat that part, but the twin truths are there. These men are accountable for their actions, and yet at the same time, it was God who was directing and predetermined everything that would take place for the great blessings that would come to the entire world, universe, not even just entire world, to the entire universe will be redeemed because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the evil actions of men were behind that event. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Lord. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was God. Isaiah 53. 53, yeah. yeah. Uh, Acts chapter 4, they say, they say the same thing in their prayers. They yeah. say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So they gather themselves. They are going to put Jesus to death, but verse 28 says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So everything that Herod and the Romans and the religious leaders, everything that they did, it was all predetermined by God. Mm -hmm. And so they did whatever God wanted them to do. Yeah, that's right. But it was still evil. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so we we have to hold these together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's very. And I, I understand. Like, if you're listening, it's new to you. I understand how that can create this tension. Because maybe, maybe consider though also that a lot of times our understanding of God is more influenced by the culture than it is from the Bible. Yeah, that's one thing. That's first. I would say that. But second, consider if the alternative is true. Right? The alternative that some would propose. Man, I can't remember the name of it. I'm gonna, I'll bring it on the podcast next time. There's a book. It was a New York Times bestseller. It's written by a Jewish. I think it's written by a rabbi, maybe. But it's on the problem of suffering and evil. Is it, it kind of got what got him going down this path was that God, uh, God couldn't really be sovereign, right? Because his son had died. Yeah. Um. So very personal. And kind of where he came to was that God is just along for the ride with all of us, hmm. right? He kind of suffers with us because he would like to do something about that. He just can't. Not in this world that he's made. Yeah. That's terrifying. Right. What kind of God is that? Why would you pray to that God? Ever. Yeah. He's just here too. Like he's just as surprised. The world probably wasn't surprised. But he's just as surprised as anyone else that Putin has invaded Ukraine. Yeah. And we're teetering on the precipice of World War Three. Like the anxiety that's causing, like God's just He's just sitting back. He's saying, you know what? Um, 
I've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen because of how my intelligence, hyper-intelligence, I'm the smartest being in the universe, but I haven't determined any of this. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just here with you guys. We'll see, I guess, what happens. Yeah. And if bad things happen to you, I guess I'll try to comfort you. Like, how is that? Right. How? Why would you ever worship that God? Yeah. If you got sick, why would you ever pray to that God? He can't help you get better. He can't heal you. He can't do anything. Why would you pray to that God to, like, you know, your family member is not converted. They're, they're not believers. How's that God going to convert your family member? Yeah, and I, I think that it also, <clears throat> that view, it elevates the goodness of man. And it thinks that the reason why the world is not, you know, just completely out of control is because there's good people. Right. Instead of there's a good God who restrains the evil intentions of of wicked men. Sure. Yeah, that's um, it. If, if God didn't restrain evil, this world would be out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there would, I mean, it would be Mad Max, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, God restrains evil. And a great restraint that he has given is uh, to the people of Israel, which it's God's law. Mm-hmm. It, prefer, it preserves society. It brings about human flourishing. Yeah. They've thrown it off. Right. Okay, so now if God doesn't act, yeah. it will be Mad Max in Judah. Yeah. That's what they'll become. Right. They're probably pretty close to it. And so God has to do, God does something about it. Right. Um, there's a very interesting find uh, that I made, and it's super, I think it's super relevant to anyone who ever hears the gospel. Um, it's how Paul preaches the gospel and uses this passage. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I've read this passage many times, and it, it never has. I, I guess I just never have connected the dots. Don't feel bad because I didn't either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't connect them either. Um, he preaches the gospel to both Jew and Gentile, Antioch and Pisidia. It's a great sermon. You could listen to the whole thing. But when he gets toward the end, what he says is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. He says, "Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers," this is Acts thirteen thirty eight that through this man, that's Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Right? That's incredibly good news. Right. You can't be justified before God by keeping the law. No one can keep it. Mm-hmm. You break one law, you're, you break the entire law. You're guilty before God. And the wages of sin is death. Terrifying. But great news, Jesus has done what you couldn't do. And he's been risen. He's he's been raised to life. He's died for sinners, crucified, died, was buried, was raised to new life. He's preaching all of this. But he tells them this: Beware, therefore, lest it be said of you, and the prophets uh, should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. And. I think so. I think what's what's clear. What he's saying is that generation did not believe God. Like God had told them. He even told them he's going to judge them, and they didn't even believe that. There was that's how hard hearted they were. They would not repent, even when told by Habakkuk, God's going to destroy you. Didn't believe Moses. Didn't believe Habakkuk, and he's saying, "Listen, don't don't do that. Don't do the same thing." God has done a work that is utterly astounding, even more utterly astounding. Right. And he's demonstrated his wrath. Not only demonstrated it, he's poured it out upon Christ. Um, but even more astounding, that he's God in the flesh, and now sinners can be justified before a holy God. And if you'll repent and come to him, then he'll do everything for you that the law couldn't do. Now believe. Don't do what they did, which was hear the word of God and disbelieve. Mm-hmm. Hear the word of God and believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's I think it's incredible the application that he does. I'm sh- I'm sure the message of uh, of Habakkuk was offensive to the Israelites when they heard it. Right. Like God's going to God's going to judge us with a pagan nation. Right. Like the Babylonians. Come on. We don't know what happened to, to Habakkuk. We right. we don't know what happened to him when he. When he prophesied this, yeah, um, but we do know that this would have been something that would have been offensive to the 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 Israelites. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with the message of the gospel. They're they're being offended by it. Yeah, um, and yet they're being called to 
respond in repentance and faith. That's that's something for us also, right? Yeah, and plenty of people do. You know, they do what he, Paul warns. They look at the cross and they say, that's preposterous that God would judge someone else's sin in his son. Mm. Dem- demonstrates his severity, though. You know, if you think he didn't spare his own son. He put put our sins upon Christ. And, but people laugh at that. Paul makes that clear when he preaches the gospel. It's utterly foolish to the Gentile. God would die for a man. Like, that is preposterous. And to the Jews' stumbling block, they said, no way Yahweh would do such a thing as that. that that's, not, that's not a thing. Yeah. And he's telling them, don't do what that generation did. Um, you should look and be astounded at the, at the severity of God towards sin. Uh, and you should be astounded at his grace and mercy, and you should believe. Yep. So. All right. Good stuff, Jay. Awesome. So what are we doing next time? The uh, end of the end of the chapter? Uh, we'll probably go to two one. Okay. Yeah, two one. There, it's one of those weird little weird uh, yeah. chapter breaks. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Looking forward to it. It's been good. All right. Well, hopefully this has been beneficial for you. Hopefully that you um, you've learned a little bit more about uh, the book of Habakkuk, but you also have been encouraged uh, to trust in Christ. To trust in Christ. To trust in um, the sovereign God who is controlling all events in history including the events that are happening in your life right now so be comforted by that and uh, we will see you next time and we pray that this will help you become more and more conformed to christ